HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Bobby Comforto and Zara Tangora. That's me. Welcome to another week of life. I uh, hope that everyone is hanging in there and getting by the best that you all can. Um, we miss you. And we love you. And today we have a wonderful guest on the show, uh, Ella Lavalette. Ella is a friend of mine. She is a wonderful human being, a brilliant artist, an activist, uh, a dominatrix, and an incredible cook, and a lover of food. Um, Ella is just one of those people who, I don't know, just is a bright light. Uh, as a lot of our, a lot of our guests share that. Uh, the bright lightness. But um, Ella is someone that I know personally pretty well. And so I can speak to that in a very real way that she's just a shining, wonderful, uh, engaged, enthusiastic, um, just a really special person. And it was a real pleasure to talk with her. Um, You know, she's, she's a young woman. And I just am impressed with the young people in this country uh more and more um I feel old saying that and I'm not that old myself I'm 36 but she's almost a decade younger than me and the perspective you know is different and I really appreciate my younger friends um Ella in particular for just constantly helping me be more aware um and you know active person Um, and I have just so much respect for her and what she does as an artist and a woman, and she's just a great person. So it was a joy to talk to her. It was a joy to talk to her. It's great talking to everyone. I guess there's something 
special about talking to your friends. Um, and it was definitely a special conversation. So I hope you guys all enjoy it and be good to yourselves, be good to each other. Um, there's so much to support now and so much to do, uh, in terms of the black lives matter movement. Uh, really hope that everyone's finding a way to get engaged and please feel free to reach out to us, uh, as always at processing podcast. I'm sorry, that is the wrong email at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, with listener emails, feedback, if you'd like to be a future guest on the show, you have a story you'd like to share, we'd love to speak with you. So reach out and touch us, (laughs) um, at six feet away, obviously. Um, okay guys, we'll enjoy our conversation with Ella and hang in there. Okay. Love you. Bye. here with the amazing and wonderful and I would say incomparable uh Ella Lavalette Ella hi 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 friend um (laughs) Ella and I we know each other from just from just bonding at Frankie's I'm a patron there or previously was before the world started melting down and restaurants are no longer relevant and uh Ella you worked there Yes, worked such a time. Yeah, back in the day when when that was a thing. But yeah, life was normal. When life was normal, we just kind of like you know, it's like I guess if you're an open person, then you can meet people who are just like working in restaurants and kind of become friends with them. I feel like you're either like you are an open person or not. You know what I mean? Like, how do you feel about mm-hmm. that in terms of like folks who come into the restaurant that you are able to like form friendships with? Yeah, some people definitely keep it like really like business relationship. You know what I mean? Like, like you're the surfer and I'm the the patron. But there's some people that are super friendly and want to. I mean, you go to a restaurant all the time. It's like you're part of your house, you know. So I feel like you should be friendly. Yeah, but it's interesting because I think it kind of speaks to this thing. And tell me what you think of this as someone who's worked in the service industry. But like, I think there's um an assumption that people who work in the service industry, like, it's just not a, like, people think it's not a real job. I mean, oh, people yes, think all it's the not. Time. Yeah. And like, you would be some, people would be so much more eager, I think, to like bond with their accountant or with their, like, you know, whatever, their doctor. And, but there's some reason, for some reason, I think people just feel like people in the service industry are like subservient. And I mean, obviously not all people feel that way. Many people are aware, but then I think it's also kind of been something that's led to service industry people getting um, really shafted during this entire mm-hmm. pandemic too, and just kind of disregarded. And Well, uh, especially it's like my favorite question is like, so what do you really do? Right. Like, or like, what are you planning on doing with the rest of your life? Which there was a point in my life where I definitely wanted to be like, like have a restaurant or something. And I was like, I want to stay in the restaurant industry, but it's interesting how people take that because they don't necessarily, they act like you need to have bigger dreams or something. Right. 
Right. It's like, you're the one who depends on us to eat every day. So exactly. And like where I want to actually, I mean, this is like another podcast, but I kind of want to know where along the line it came to be that restaurant work wasn't legitimate. Mom, what did you, how do you feel about that? Like you weren't really, you've been a server in your life and you owned a catering business. Like, did you ever feel that way? That kind of like, well, it was a long time ago. It was year, you know, 30 years ago. So I think the whole industry was different, but certainly the industry has changed so much, particularly in New York and Brooklyn. And, um, you know, it's so much more, more a part of our culture. Right. There's so many more restaurants. and. But did you ever feel that vibe of, like, not feeling like your work was legitimate and that, like, you must have oh, had... of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if people saw me in the street, they wouldn't necessarily say hello. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it's really weird. Right. It's like senior teacher outside school. Ella, well, so when did you, I never actually knew that about you. Like, when did you feel like you wanted to open a restaurant? And like, why, where did that, where did that come from? I know you love to um, cook. Like, Yeah, I love to cook. I started, like, restaurant was like, definitely one of my first jobs. My first, first job was working at Hollister, which was a travesty <laughs> Um, (laughs) then my real first job was working at this little new American restaurant in the West village. And I just like loved the vibe of it. It was like a husband and wife owned place. And I remember just really wanting to be a restaurant owner. Like that's what I wanted to do for a few years actually. And I've been working in restaurant industry ever since I'm 27 now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Like I, I would like just to bring it back to like the pandemic situation, like at the beginning of the pandemic. And before that, I had just um, been very pro restaurant and not that I'm anti restaurant now, but there's a lot of stuff that's just been like illuminated for me personally, like at this point about like, I don't know, just the way the restaurants run uh, the the hierarchy. And I say this as like a previous as a former restaurant owner, just like the unchecked power of ownership. I don't know. Has anything about that changed for you? Like at all, Ella, like since this situation with the pandemic or before? Well, I just think it's kind of insane that we're scrambling to reopen restaurants right now. Yeah. Just because it's almost cruel to make people work outside within like the hot summer sun with masks on for hours serving like people that haven't, you know, it's just, it seems like that unchecked power is being used right now. Right. And yeah. like that, like it's very obvious. And I, I feel like it's almost, the, I, I get that we all need profit, but it's also because restaurant owners aren't being supported as much. You know what I mean? Right. So there is, it's a difficult road to go down. Yeah. It's very, it's all very complicated. And I think basically all stems back to the evils of capitalism. Yes. Okay. Seeing, I was going to say, yeah. I was like, that's a whole another podcast. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to, we're going to unravel capitalism on today's show from start beginning to end. I mean, that's talking about grief, capitalism. I know. <laughs> it's no, the but, biggest grief in my life. You no, know, that's really, can you expand on that though a little bit? Cause that's actually like an interesting, how is capitalism the biggest grief in your life? Well, I mean, my dad always used to say like, he was like the biggest issue you know, like 50% of marriages, I think it's now 60 and in divorce. Right. And he was like, right. most of the reasons behind divorce is money. Right. And I never understood until obviously like getting on my own that like how important money is and how crazy just everything is like the credits that no one teaches you the foundation. You go to school, you learn all this geometry, blah, 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 bullshit. And then you get out into the world and all this shit that you really needed to learn 
no one tells you, no one prepares you for it. And if you don't figure it out, you don't come from a stable financial family background for people to educate you. Yeah. It kind of like does ruin your life for a bit of like, I'm struggling yeah. with really bad credit and i like, would ideally want to buy a house kind of soon, but I can't until I get the credit up. And right. like, that's going to take how knows long there's stuff on it there that I don't even know about. So it's like, it's just like a taxing working like leisure is one of the most important things to like creation and to like innovation and advancement. And in a capitalist society, you don't get leisure time as often. Like we're in like a work hard, grind hard society, which is where COVID like actually helped in terms of just like recentering myself, I feel like, and Mm. realigning my priorities. That's really interesting that you say that. You know, I was talking to my friend Nicole the other day and she made this point and like I was going back to restaurants, I was kind of trying to defend at least the emotional element of restaurants uh, for people who work in them for forging these like extremely tight friendships. And I still stand behind that point because like I think there's like these incredible bonds that you form with people. But Nicole made the point of like being like, yeah, you make these bonds because you're forced to work under these insane conditions where you're working 60 hours a week and you're all like working your asses off sweating, like in this capitalist machine. Right. So you do form these intense friendships with people, but it's under the duress of like this bizarre work yeah, really bizarre. that we and have. It's also- it's also if you don't work as hard as like your peers, people definitely look down on you as being like, absolutely, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like a, a little bit, you know, lazy. And it's like it's it is kind of unreasonable. Like, like when I was the amount of artwork that I've been able to get done in the quarantine time and like ideas generated that I've had before but yeah. they couldn't accomplish is like insane. Like you can't work, you can't work in a painting after you've like been on your feet all day and like you know what I mean yeah absolutely absolutely so I want to take it back a little bit to the beginning of like and just get an idea and let our listeners know a little bit about who you are so you are a city kid you grew up in New York right Mm -hmm. in Lower East Side yeah I grew up East Side my whole life Lower East for most of the formative years high school and like part of middle school okay so Um, what was what what was the deal what was your family structure all about what was your like kind of young life like like what was it growing up I, well, I grew up with my dad. My dad raised me. Um, and my, my, also my dad's like, my family is more like, it takes a village. So they all like, my grandma watched me all the time. My aunt watched mm. me all the time. Everyone thought my aunt was my mom. We looked the same. Like, <laughs> like she is a little more light skinned, but she could literally, we could be like sisters at like at a certain point. Really? Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I'll show you her one day. She looks, we have the same face. Okay. Uh, but she, like I definitely, my dad grew up very education centered. Like he, I was like, he made me read the dictionary, you know, oh, like wow. I was, yeah, my dad was very rigorous. I was reading like Hegel in like my teenage years. Wow. That was also my high school too. Cause I went to like a really, I went to Bard high school, which was like a oh, wow. super advanced curriculum, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was a little crazy as a teen, obviously. <laughs> you know, New York City makes you, you grow up fast. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your dad raised you and you grew up without, I mean, obviously you had a mother figure in your aunt, but your mom wasn't around and they were. Yeah, I heard they got, they had a falling out, I guess. And 
my dad wanted to raise me okay. specifically, like, okay. which I do have to give him kudos for. We had a falling out at some point too, but wow. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. He did like, as a single man want to raise his girl child, which is very cool. And yeah. he did, I mean, he did for the most part. And especially in my younger years, he did a really good job. Like he was very present and very like, interactive you know what i mean mm -hmm. i was in like chess club i was in debate i was in all of these like fun i did soccer yeah that's amazing that's amazing i you know i felt my my mom and dad got divorced too and my dad certainly didn't raise me but they had joint custody and i really saw that in him that like desire to be like uh like i'm not gonna just be like the typical like you know, divorced mm -hmm. dad, like, I'm gonna really, like, push to be, like, this really important figure, like, really big up on, like, education, and, and not just, like, education, but teaching me about, like, you know, art and music and stuff, and I don't know, I mean, I guess sometimes dads can be <laughs> surprised, yeah. but also, also he's an asshole in, like, other ways, but he definitely <laughs> yeah, had exactly. that instinct. <laughs> He definitely had that instinct. Um, Everybody has their faults. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, totally. Like my dad, I know my dad's, my grandfather was not very present. Um, so, and like, I feel like that led to my dad wanting to be super there because he like loved his dad, but obviously didn't get to bond like he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like there was always that lingering yeah. behind him, which is good in a sense. Yeah. Did, Ella, how old was your dad when he had you? Uh, 22. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. Uh, can you imagine? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Mom, what was I like when I was 22 years old? Just to, so we can try to, like, illuminate the scene. Can you imagine me having a, a child at 22? <laughs> well, I I think you could have. I think we all adapt well, to I mean, things that we have physically. to adapt to. But I could see how now. But I could see that now. No, I, I don't mean emotionally, too. But I think that now you're that much more ready and prepared more mature but i think okay, young well, people I'll, have I'll children yeah. no i know i'm just thinking you know what i think it, i think it is i think that like i've been talking about this a lot with people lately tell me what you guys think but i think that like people were like young people were older like 30 years ago and before like i feel that people and like Ella, you're 27, I'm 36, like, but our general age group, like, we're just younger people in our 20s yeah. and 30s and 40s than our parents well, were, yeah. right? Like, you used to, like, graduate high school, mom, like, when you were younger, and it wasn't uncommon for people to get married when they were 20 and have kids when they were, and start a family and buy a house, right? Well, that's true, particularly the generation before me, like, my parents' generation, that was a definite, that's what time, that's when you had babies, when you were that's in your early 20s. Right. Why do we think, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but just conjecture, like, why do you guys think that that is that young people are so much younger today, stay younger, longer? Well, I imagine it's a sociological, there's so many things that would probably add to that, but it's been a culture of the me, you know, right, the me generation, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, it's true. Yeah. Very much less like, like community, looking at your community, very much more looking at like personal development so to speak i guess right right that's true personal development and also it's about me and traveling and doing things and right. i don't mm -hmm. have to have a family yet sure so there's more options we do live longer too right that's true you don't have to start having kids that you know mm -hmm. buying a house yeah you're not afraid of 
you know, passing away at 50. Right, right, right. 50s. Like, I mean, really, the 50s was like, if you look past your 50s, that was like, right. Wow. I know. That's very <laughs> weird. Um, so getting back on track, though, like, so we know that you love to cook. Um, where did that come from? Did you have, what was the cooking situation like? The oh, eating situation the at best home? memories. Really? Tell the us best. some of them. Yeah. My grandma. So my grandma is like probably my favorite person. And she used to cook. She's from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And she used to cook like she grew up in a shack, you know, like with the chickens. And right. she yeah. made her own clothes like as a kid. So she is very... She actually has an amazing story, like worked her way up as supervisor at the hotel, Pierre. So I've always like hospitality is also in my family. Cool. Like she worked um, and she like learned English by herself, but she used to make these crazy grandiose meals every holiday. (sighs) And every time I was over at her house, like she'd be cooking all day. Like the beans, you know, she made beans from scratch, like everything. She had a huge garden outside. That's why I garden. Yeah. Is because of her. And oh, I, nice. we have, yeah, we have home videos of me. Like, I used to call myself Yahia because my full name is Yahaela, uh-huh. which is a mouthful for a baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have like a videos of me, like, take a picture of Yahia. And I'm like, guard, like, planting, like, replanting, like, little bulbs and stuff like that. <gasps> oh, but she cute. would like harvest stuff and then cook it and make these crazy meals, you know, like from, Scratch, like there was no canned goods in my house. There was only like whole foods and stuff. Yeah, amazing. So what other kind of like, what are some of the other like big memories of like food, like actual things she would cook? I'm very intrigued oh, at this point. Sauce pois is like, they're like beans. It's like a really slow stewed beans with like dumplings, these <gasps> like doughy dumplings in them. And like, they're just, those dumplings are just so good. Yum. And uh, she makes like really this delicious mac and cheese that I love. Mm. Um, she would make these. She had string beans were my favorite things to pick in the garden because you mm-hmm. could just eat them off the like off the vine. You would just go out and like pick them and eat them. And she would make like these mint. She seasoned a lot with mint because we would have like oh. so mint. Ooh. Oh, just so many good uh, rice and peas. Yum. Like this, I don't even know what some of, half of the stuff is called because, like, she's she, she speaks Creole. I understand Creole, uh-huh. but it's I, I can't speak it. Right. Interesting. Do you speak so, French at all? Um, I can speak some French. I understand. This is another thing. I understand it. When I was a kid, I didn't want to be like from an Im- immigrant family. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, Because I've like heard a lot of other people that I know who are from immigrant families talking about that. Was your dad also from Haiti or was he born in America? He was born in America, but he was definitely closer to like the culture. And I grew up around my grandma and stuff. So like, and my aunt, my aunt grew up, was born in uh, Haiti as well. Not, not in America. So like I grew up in a very non, like, they would, I just was so embarrassed for some reason. I don't even know why. Like they would pick me up from school and like, I was like embarrassed by their accents. Interesting. Well, I think I've heard, uh, like I was beginning to say, I've heard so many other people that I know that are from immigrant families say that and like for a variety of reasons. But I think the common denominator usually is people feeling like as kids, they want to quote fit in. Exactly. Is that how you felt, Ella? Yeah, yeah. And my name was so weird. Like Ella didn't become my nickname until 
fairly like high school. Right. Like I was trying, I went through a lot of nicknames. Mm-hmm. So like I had a weird name and like, I like grew up pretty Jewish too. Mm. So like, I like, we were like kosher. So there was already like, I couldn't eat a lot of stuff. And then there, I just felt like I was already too different. And I was like, I want something that's normal. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. I'm shaking my head. So where did the Judaism fit in? Uh, we're part Ethiopian, so I have some, ah. we follow like Ethiopian Judaism. Right, and interesting. My dad was like really, I mean, he is, not was. He's practicing, uh-huh. um, so we went to like, like like temple, and I would have to wear like traditional clothing, and oh wow, I like like I mean it's all very fine and well. Like it's now I appreciate it. You know what I mean? But when I was a kid, I was like, Ooh. Oh, there were so many things going against you, really. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was like, my name is Yakaela, and I can't eat oh. pork, and wow. yeah. I celebrate all these weird holidays and like saying I'm Jewish, like a lot of people already were like, you're black. How can you be Jewish? You know? So that was already an explanation for like a kid is a lot. Oh my goodness. Well, it's interesting. The things that like, you know, I guess like this is one thing that is slowly ticking towards change and hopefully more rapidly now. Um, but that like the idea of being different has been so humiliating for kids, particularly for so long. Um, you know, like I, uh, my mom is Jewish. My dad wasn't, but like, and my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor and I had gone to a private school when I was a kid. We were, you know, grew up pretty poor, but like my mom snuck, snuck me into a private school and like a scholarship and everybody there was like you know, fucking wasp. And I was also really embarrassed of being Jewish. And I think it's like, I, I hope very much. And it seems, and you know, tell me how, how you feel about this too. Like that we're like ticking towards a time where like being different is like an exciting thing and like celebrated more so. It seems like it. Yeah. Like kids, like little kids have names like Zephyr and like, (laughs) On there, I, I babysit sometimes, and like they seem, they do seem like they're a lot more open to everyone being different, and like more, it's more normalized. Also, like kids' cartoons now, all the, all the little characters are wearing different outfits. Like they don't look like they're all part of one. Right. You know, right. Thank, group, thank you know? goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. Isn't that great? I'm like, yeah, it is. Because bullying is crazy. Did you get bullied in school? Oh, my name got made fun of a lot, yeah. yeah mine too, actually. Cause, yeah, because yeah, your name is super different too. Yeah. So, like, I can imagine, like, the, like that. these are not normal. I want to just, like, 
a normal American name. I wanted a Christmas tree. Right. I was like, why can't we just have a Christmas tree? Yeah, no. I used to feel that way too. I always wanted to ha- be like everybody else because I grew up in a very Christian area and being one of the only Jewish kids. And I felt so embarrassed and humiliated. I just wanted to be like everybody else and shop in the same places they shopped and just wear the same clothes because my mother used to dress me differently. And yeah. Oh, so you even had horrifying. different clothes. Yeah. yeah. How, how did she dress oh. you differently? What did you have to wear? Was it just like, was it? Well, this is very funny because there used to be in my neighborhood something called Robert Halls. And it was the everyday, like Target, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of a store, you know. And my mm-hmm. mom used to go to Bonwood Taylor's and Saks Fifth Avenue. Right. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I wanted to be like the other kids. And I used to say to her, can we just go to Robert Hall's, please? Oh, you know? that makes me cry almost. Yeah, yeah. you were like, please, I just want to look. I know. I was. I remember feeling like that. I was like, why do I have to wear this? Like, there's like these like cool and special holidays. There's these really pretty dresses that you wear. But I was like, why? I really don't want to have to go to school wearing this dress. Like, yeah. I'm so embarrassed. I know. Now I'm like. Rocket. Well, that's the interesting <laughs> thing about you because you are one of the most artistic, unique, so, whole, and honestly, like wholly embracing of yourself people that I know. And so, where oh. did that, like, where, how did that shift happen? Like, when did that occur for you from becoming feeling embarrassed of who you like were to being so out and proud about it? I feel like it, it, it. It definitely did manifest from my father and also just out of my father because we had a huge falling out where he, like, wouldn't let me go to college and I had to, like, like literally leave and run away from home. We didn't talk for seven years. Wow. I want to say. But it was definitely because of, like, his upbringing. As much as I, like, hated it when I was little, all that rigorous stuff that he made me do, Mm -hmm. he definitely taught me to always be proud of being black, Mm. of being a woman, of like just just basically being me and as much as I like didn't understand I was like why do you have to stress all that stuff like I was learning about systemic racism when I was like a kid like my dad understood all that stuff but I was like I just want it all to be like normal yeah like a fairy tale world that's not the world that we live in yeah but I was still gonna ask you a question it's all right finish up Oh no! I was going to I was going to ask you what it was like not to have a mom. Like, were you self conscious of that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, like, I, I eventually, my dad like married someone who was my stepmom. But for most, for like a lot of the beginning of my life, I remember I was like, I, I really, because not having a mom, especially like you know, you always see like shows where girls with and their moms have like the best like relationships mm. and stuff like that. So I definitely felt super left out. And I always wondered, like, why why couldn't my, like, parents stay together? Because I didn't really meet my mom until I was maybe, like, five or six. Uh-huh. And I didn't really know who she was. Like, my dad was like, we're going to meet, we're, you're going to go see your mom. It was just not the right way to do it because I was, like, freaked out by her. I remember being like, who is this woman who's hugging me and, like... Mm. You know, like, oh, my God, I missed you, blah, blah. Right, right. Wow. So that was really bizarre. Yeah. Really, like, I mean, and I guess it kind of also sounds like it fits into, like, the picture that you're painting about the otherness. Like, you know, just kind of one more element of otherness. And, like, you know, it's a – maybe it's a little, like, uh, I don't know, heteronormative, like – 
kind of antiquated way of talking about like women and their mothers because you know there's a lot of different yeah families family structures and all kinds of people but like you know I think that what you're talking about in terms of like the uh societal representation and the trope of like women and their mothers and feeling like not having that is a big if it sounds to me like it could have been a big hole for you like how did you cope with that like kind of pain or like mystery or otherness like when you were growing up like did you have coping mechanisms for that did it like was it very destructive like what how did that feel um I'm not really sure how I de- I don't even think I've still dealt with it to be honest let's let's be honest yeah. with that because I like re- I remember I remember like even like fantasizing of what because I didn't even know what she looked like for a long time until much much later and then after meeting her I didn't get to meet her again for another I don't know for a while because huh. I had a sister I don't know. My dad was just as not into it. Right. To be honest, from what he, that he said that she cheated on him and it was like, that was the end. And you know, when they're super young like that, that's like, right. It's hard to work shit out. Absolutely. Um, but she but, also, she must've also, did she leave? Was she in New York or did she go somewhere else? Um, I think she had to leave. Cause she had had a, a daughter already. Like I have a sister. Mm-hmm. I think she ended up having to move down South for a little bit. I don't know. I I don't know how expensive New York was back then, but I don't know. My mom has since passed recently. So I honestly can't even get most of that information. Yeah. That's which is sad. Did you have any closure with her or, or, you know, not really. Like I had seen her in my adult life. She came to like one of my apartments and with my sisters. So I have like four sisters uh, three from her and one from my dad and she but like we were supposed to reconnect in the year that she passed so I didn't actually get to ever really talk to her about a lot of things oh, sorry. She, how, did she, how did she pass Ella? she had a heart attack mm-hmm. she uh, and that's why like I feel like I'm going so hard with this like health kind of campaign thing that I'm doing on base camp yeah Cause like she'd had a heart attack. She died at 49 from a heart attack. That's wild. Yeah. Which is wild. Really like that's is. crazy young to have heart disease and like, yes, crazy young. And she was a nurse. Wow. So it's, it's really wild to think that like, even someone that close to the healthcare system can still be that misinformed because that comes from miseducation. You know what right. I mean? Right. Absolutely. So just kind of uh, a little bit about, because I, I have some parallels that I kind of want to draw just like knowing about you, but I, I want, if you don't mind just telling our listeners, like, where are you at today? Like, what's your, what's, what's your profession? You have a couple different things I know that you're involved with. Like, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the things that you do professionally? Well, post-COVID now, I am, well, I've always been an artist, mm-hmm. um, I do painting, sculptures, photography, just like anything basically I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And I also am a dominatrix, mm-hmm. um, which has been, I've done for like about a year and a half, but more so professionally since you could do lots of online stuff, lots of, I've been focusing more on that because obviously right. 
restaurants are not going to be back in biz anytime soon. Totally. So I, you know, knowing that you are a dom, um, and then being at this show is about therapy. I had this really interesting kind of thought, which is probably not that much of an aha for some people, but it, I put the pieces together for myself. Um, it's so similar to, th- I think, and tell me what you think. Obviously your opinion is holds so much more weight, but to therapy, do you feel like that at all? Um, I could definitely Just- draw parallels. I mean, I, I mean, actually like people for sure come to me with like, crazy stories from their lives and like I'm I'm definitely I'm a confidant for people in a sense I would say um right yeah like the beginning of helping to alleviate suffering yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I imagine I said imagine to alleviate suffering as well right ah yes yeah definitely well yeah people have it's always from people have very very interesting stories I would say and Usually, like, a dom-sub relationship is, like, something that's ongoing. Like, my oldest sub has I've had for, like, over two years, mm-hmm. almost three years now. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I was kind of thinking of, like, therapy. And it was just kind of going back to the same thing that we began talking about, about the uh, attitude that we have societally towards people who work in the service industry. I think, similarly, there's a, t- there's a you know, stigma surrounding sex work that I personally believe to be unfair. And I'm sure the three of us could, were aligned in our agreement in that. But like, you know, realistically, like you have people coming to another person because they are having a need. And I'm not saying that everyone who visits a sex worker or dominatrix is in peril by any means. And that's why they're going. But I think most people have problems and, you know, when you kind of visit like other people who are in your life to for either sex work or therapy, there's probably something that you're trying to like work out or get or, you know, get to a place of at least feeling alleviated in some way, right? Either physically or emotionally. And yet we look at sex work as being uh, taboo. And a lot of people look at it as being bad. It's, you know, to this point, uh, in a lot of ways, illegal, which is fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really it's just like the same thing. It's, it's so similar, you know what I mean? And I just was like thinking about you as a person and I don't know if you agree with this, but like as someone who works, uh, in the, in, as a dom and someone who works in the service industry and as an artist, like there's all this like parts of your personality, it seems in your professional life that is very giving and very like out there to like help other people. I think working in the service industry is also helping other people and helping people work through their pain a lot of the times because they're coming to a restaurant to get something. Do you, do you agree? Do you feel like there's any parallel between the three kind of facets of your working life? Well, yeah, I like to see people happy essentially. Like I feel that's probably the main, I know people probably think like jobbing is like beating people, which in some senses it is, but it's all consensual yeah. and it's, uh, you are, you are alleviating stress and pain and you actually get to, I, you get to have really like, I congratulate one of my subs just had a baby and like, I congratulated them on having a baby. And it was like, they sent me photos of their cute baby. Mm-hmm. It's like a very, like, it's a very alleviating. You get to see people work through a lot of their problems and like, where people work through their problems with food for sure. And definitely with art. I mean, that's what art is. It's just like 
a big release on paper. Absolutely. You're just a, I just know you to be like a very, you're one of those people, like when you get to know that has this like really big, and it's kind of a you know cliche to say a really big heart, but it like you're, you're, you radiate like goodness and like, oh, I hope. you really do. And I know that like, there have been things in your life that have been really trying and difficult and just, you know, scratching the surface here and talking about, you know, having a, what sounds like a very like, uh, uh rich and, uh, and amazing and unique childhood, but also painful in a lot of ways. Um, mm. and then, you know, still having this lust for life that you don't only want to like have personally, but you, it seems that you really want to share with other people. And I just you know, I, I guess I'm curious to know if that's like something that's conscious for you. Are you like, con- are you ever conscious of the fact that you want to make other people happy in through your work? Or is it something that just kind of feels like it happens? Well, I just feel like that's what life is, yeah. is like community and like making people happy. Yeah. So I don't, I don't just know if I necessarily like think about it, but you want to be surrounded by people that like are happy too. Yeah. I don't know. I that's I feel like that's just how I've always been brought up to live and how like my family operates. They like we all help each other. Like my grandma got Alzheimer's and she started like literally losing her mind. Wow. Like she calling the cops, thinking that were people in her house, like really like oh, wow. insane and you know the first thing that we, we did, everyone in my family, we've all volunteered to go move in with her. Wow. And so now my aunt lives with her and my cousin lives with her and my little sister lives with her. And oh, it's wow. now she's back to being very normal. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Wow. How did that happen? I mean, is she, like she just kind of, it just changed. Well, apparently it like, yeah, like you, when you're alone and you don't, you're detached from anybody that you know and stuff, you that's really right. start losing your mind faster and like diet, there's a real big impact on it. So my family switched up her diet entirely. Like she's eating like no sugars, like because starch sugars are really like it like exacerbates Alzheimer's. Yeah. So it kind of like reversed a lot of what what had been going on. Like if we had left her alone or like put her in a home or anything like that, she would have just been a non-person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like that's how like my family's always been. Hmm. Yeah, I was about I to say know. it probably says a lot about your family. You know, I, I wonder if a person with Alzheimer's living in any family would do well, or is there something, you know, loving and unique and wonderful about your family? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I know that we care for each other. We're small in the United States because not many of us came to, like, the States. Yeah. So we, it's kind of, I guess, we, like, hold on to each other. Yeah. And the thing you actually, you had mentioned earlier in our chat that, um, you were raised in kind of a community way, which is like mm-hmm. something that's so not present in general in the kind of like white American way of like the nuclear family. It's like you have the mom and the dad and the two kids and like that's the family unit and then grandma and grandpa. And like, you know, we see them at holidays, whereas like in so many other cultures, like, you know, like my, you often say mom quoting Viktor Frankl that survival is a community event and bringing up children is a community event. And I feel like, and you know, even like loving people, like in a romantic relationship is more community based. Like we're very not like that in this country. And, and you know, the, yeah, that's true. And it's very like abnormal compared to the rest of the world. 
Um, well, families like, don't live together. I think in, in right. maybe other cultures, families live together. Generations yeah. live together, and we don't really do that. But I think community yeah. is also much more important, right, in mm-hmm. other cultures. And I think that, Except like, I part- notice in the in I, I notice in this culture though that sometimes the religious communities, like I talk to people and their churches, are really important to them. Mm. They really okay. are. They're they're a rich sense of community for them. But mm. uh-uh. so yeah. maybe that's a way to like find that community. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, because we I guess we do search for it. People look for like clubs and groups and right. and the yes. restaurant industry is like a community yes. too. Absolutely. That's why it's so hard to leave. It's yeah. true. The restaurant industry really is a community. So speaking of food again, I am curious to know, like, do you look to cooking and and food? I feel like I know the answer to this question, but just to confirm, um, as a way of handling maybe some of the different griefs that you have in your life directly, like, do you, if you're feeling emotional distress or grief, do you find yourself, like, immersing yourself in cooking gardening food related things oh yeah for sure I mean and I always cook for like like my house is like a kind of like communal house too so I always cook for like my roommate my neighbors like my friend lives really close by and will invite her over so it's always like very therapeutic to like get just bust out a big meal yeah totally I can't cook in small, in small portions. (laughs) I know, me neither. That's like, I can't cook in small portions either, and I live alone, and I obviously love to cook. So I find myself usually just eating, like, salsa out of the jar and, like, Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, if I'm alone, I'm like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Are are you able to garden where you live now, Ella? Yeah, I have a rooftop, so I slowly accumulated, like, all of these plants. I have a bunch of plants in my roof, eggplant, squash, tomatoes, peppers. There's little tomatoes and little peppers now. Oh, nice. Ooh, yum. It's so cute. That's and cute. lettuce, bok choy. Great. Ooh, yum. Um, so we'll see. I'll, I throw a harvest party and you guys will be invited. Oh, we would love to come. That sounds like so much fun. That's nice. Um, it's going to be great. Well, I have a question. So basically when we kind of gear- grind towards the end of these episodes, I we always ask people the same question. And it's the question is, if you could have told your young self something when you were like at, you know, in kind of your darkest times of any of the different parts of grief, whether it was surrounding your mom and her absence or her death or really any of the other times in your life where you felt, you know, really in deep grief, um, do you have any advice now as being such a wise, really, I think you're such a wise woman, um, that you would have told your younger self? Uh, I definitely have some advice for my younger self. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would tell my younger self, stop doing so many drugs. <laughs> I would tell my younger self to just really like not let myself get so wrapped up in like the popularity game, mm. like that it doesn't matter that like your worth is not how cool you look, how many friends, like I feel like I could have focused on so many different things when I was younger, right. but my energies were all directed towards like, like that. And like, because of that, I was just spent my money on all the wrong things. I never like prepared for me now. Right. And I would definitely be like, just, 
like you yourself as you are is great. Like just know that you're going to get, make the best of friends and it's not going to be because of like how cool, how late you stayed at the party or like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Actually, it's interesting. I was talking to my therapist about this yesterday and talking about people, like I have some really deep abandonment stuff and rejection stuff from when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm, it sound, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you do too, as probably a result of your mom not being there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think people who feel like that and also coupled with feeling other um, or like an outsider as a kid, we feel like we have to like be really good to be liked. You know what I mean? And you have to be like Mm -hmm. super cool or super great at something or like, you know, overly give or overly like prove yourself to be liked. Like, do you feel like that at all? Is that part of that? Yeah, always like, and I still battle with that now. Yeah. um, And not giving myself enough time. And like not really just trusting myself to kind of know what I need and like looking towards other people for that kind of guidance. You know what I mean? Yeah. When like there is a way to do that constructively, obviously, but I feel like a lot of the times it's, it's more like sacrificing a part of myself. Yeah. When I don't need to do that. Right. Right. Totally. Well said. Very well said. Um, and then I just wanted to give you, uh, I, I was hoping that you would actually share with us a couple of, uh, little things that you're doing. You have started this amazing thing called base camp, which I was hoping mm-hmm. you could share with people a little bit about that. So, which I'm going to work on a bunch today. Yeah. So can you tell us about what you're doing so, with base camp? Um, base camp, um, is a kind of it's a way to disseminate like information to people. Um, I want to eventually right now it's just an online platform. Um, I have an Instagram and a website and basically I'm going to be putting uh, places to volunteer health facts, cool events up on there. Um, I'm going to connect people. I want to kind of create uh, an insular economy where we can all trade ideas, skill trade, um, well, like a Skillshare kind of program, we'll, we, we'll, we will be teaching classes uh, all for donation only. And I'm, I am going to get a big space um, actually soon mm-hmm. to host these uh, things. Amazing. Maybe in the next week or so. Um, so that'll be really great. But I, I basically, it's, it's the idea that a lot of people, like ed- we are not educated in all that we need to know. Like there are so many essential skills that people don't have like the access to or the time for, or just, they just don't really know about it. So I'm trying right now, I'm in just the organizing phase where we're going to be working on the programming, Mm -hmm. but um, there's some health facts on there. There's some mutual aid services. There's going to be mental health services. And I'm going to be partnering up with people to offer a lot of cool skills trade classes. I'll be teaching a gardening class in probably two weeks where we are going to learn how to um, make raised beds. That's amazing. Um, First, I just want to say, when I was prefacing this question for you, I was like, can you tell us about some of the little things you're doing? That is opposite of little. It's a big thing. I was just actually looking through my notes and kind of stuttering a little bit. So I just want to go back on that and make sure I wasn't like, 
you know, downplaying the uh, extreme importance of what you're doing. And I'm, I, it's really impressive and really cool. So it is far from being a little thing. And secondly, can you well, just tell people? Well, it's a little thing right now. Well, it's a little, it's a <laughs> seedling, but it's a very important mm-hmm. seedling. And I would in no way want to um, diminish the importance of it or how, how cool it is. And about community. Yes. It's about just what you're yes. talking about. Right. And it's obviously just a shining example of you being you and building community because of who you are. It's amazing. And can you just tell people how exactly how to find it? Like what is the Instagram? What is the website? Uh, the website is basecamp.army. And the Instagram is the same, at basecamp.army. Okay. And basically, we should be seeing some programming up in a few weeks. I'm going to be... Uh, the info little cards are going to be all about health and gardening and sustainable living and ed- kind of educating people also on why we have food deserts and why food disparity exists um, as well. And then we'll be going into like more practical like resources and outlets for getting sustainable food and creating your own sustainable little gardens. That's amazing. I love it. It's, it's so in line with what we're talking about on the show and it's so necessary and I'm just like so impressed with you like you're a you know a young woman and you're just dynamic in basically every way you're an amazing artist you're I love friendly you. you're cool you're brilliant like you're just a really inspiring person and uh it's yes, just it's been a pleasure to get to know you today yeah you're you're <laughs> a real too. gift to this world that is really like um the best way to describe you you're a gift to the world and we really appreciate your time and sharing your story and just your your energy and your outlook is um really just honest and positive and unique and i don't know you're great so thank you you guys are great this was so fun (laughs) thanks ella it was so good to talk to you and um we'll see you soon happy gardening happy gardening yes bye bye Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.